Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do check out yukonminingalliance.ca for an update on all the great exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And we got an action-packed show for you this week. Uh, I swung by the International Metal Writers Conference in Vancouver this past weekend. Uh, a new name, I guess. I haven't heard of this one before, but it's the, I guess, People Who Write About Metals Conference. Uh, but no, seriously, uh, the names change, but the content stays the same. So we have some of our great um, newsletter writer guests swinging by the show this week. Uh, I sat down with Brent Cook from Exploration Insights. I sat down with Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist, and I also have uh, some exclusive interviews with people from specific jurisdictions or junior companies who are working in really hot areas around the world, whether that be Peru, the Yukon, obviously, which we'll mention a lot, um, etc. Uh, one of the guests that we'll have this week is uh, Dr. Paul Westsells, who's the chair of the Yukon Mining Alliance, also the president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold. Paul's going to swing by to talk about that big exploration push in the Yukon by major gold miners. Uh, and we'll talk infrastructure, liquefied natural gas. We'll talk a little bit about the climate up there and just how busy it's going to be in the Yukon this summer. I bet it's going to be hard to get a helicopter and a drill. Let's just say that. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, uh, Mickey will drop by and we're going to be talking about fundamentals, uh, what he's looking for in terms of uh, copper, which he does like in the midterm, uh, as well as uh, exploration innovation. Uh, Mickey and I will sit down uh, and talk uh, from a geologist's point of view. Mickey, not myself uh, about uh, some new technologies that he's seeing on the ground in terms of exploration as we know um Sort of the uh, quote-unquote low-hanging fruit has been plucked uh, a lot in a lot of places in terms of exploration. Uh, so we're looking at things undercover. We're looking at things at depth. Uh, so we're looking at some new technologies to help explorers uh, make that next generation of uh, mine finds. Uh, and as we know, the uh, the life cycle of mines is, is, is fairly long. So we want to get those explorationists out there and uh, get them to work with as much great tools as we can. So Mickey's going to swing by. We're going to chat about that. Uh, I don't have to get into macro too much this week because uh, one of the other things Mickey and I will touch on is some of the, uh, the, the metal fundamentals that he's looking at. Uh, so at the time of recording, I'll just run through our metals prices really quick to give us a little bit of, uh, you know, term of reference or context. Uh, so gold was trading at $1,265 and 95 cents per ounce well silver was at 17 dollars and 40 cents per ounce uh, meanwhile copper is trading at two dollars and 57 cents per pound while west texas intermediate crude oil was trading at 49 dollars and 50 cents per barrel uh and yeah so uh without further ado i'm just going to crack right into the interviews this week because we got a couple really good ones that uh run uh, the mickey interviews about 20 minutes and then paul join us for about 10 uh so that's going to take up the bulk of our show uh, but i'm going to run the mickey uh mickey segment first uh so uh, we're going to talk uh, a wide range of topics as mentioned so uh it's going to be great and i will join you after the break once again from studio uh, just to introduce uh the interview with dr paul westsells from the yukon mining alliance i'll see you then Today we're in sunny downtown Vancouver to visit with one of our favorite guests, Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist. Thanks for joining us, Mickey. Thanks for having me once again, Matt. And uh, we're back in Vancouver, and uh, one of the buzzwords, um, we're uh, down at the conference center, and, and people are sort of saying, junior mining is back. I saw that on a flyer down here, Mickey. <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm sort of wondering to start off how you feel about that. <laughs> well, I think it's coming back. I don't think we're all the way there. 
I do, and I, this is well known, that have the opinion we are in an incipient bull market for commodities. You know, the, the bear market lasted arguably five years from the top to the bottom. Bottom January 20th of 2016, and it's been better. Uh, we, but it really is, I think, fits and starts two steps forward, one step back. The encouraging thing is there's money being raised. There's money, plenty of money being raised over the last year or so. Um, that's probably pros and insiders and the usual suspects. As someone obviously who's out there looking at deals and, and doing your share of site visits, um, I mean, what is sort of uh, some of the things or trends you're noticing in terms of maybe what people are looking for, where they're drilling, uh, what sort of projects you might be looking at? Yeah, uh, I'm looking at startups. I think this is the time you do early stage deals. So it, one thing I've noticed is if you look at the recent conferences, there's a lot of new companies sprung up, names you don't recognize. Yep, yep. Some of them, as opposed to the previous cycle, are not recycling old projects. So That's nice uh, to see. I'm very encouraged by the idea that grassroots exploration is coming back, yes. which really is where the, the next round of metals, mines that supply the world, I think have to come from those uh, virgin plays and unexplored ground. And more and more of those things ended up being blind deposits drilled at depth. So I think that's where the business is going. And I mean, that's a big issue is, is a lot of the low hanging fruit has obviously been taken, especially in North America. It's finding maiden ground here is just, it's not. Hey, you know, Matt, I think low hanging fruit is gone yeah. pretty much all over the world. Yeah. And it really started in the early 90s with that boom. And, you know, historically before that time, uh, Canadian juniors had operated in Canada until perhaps, say, the early 80s, and they, they went into the United States. Uh, I, I remember in the mid-80s when I was working for a major mining company, we were going, who are all these Canadians flooding in and taking props? And then by the early 90s, exploration, the world was kind of the geologist's oyster, yeah. and you, you got, you're hard put to find ground that has not been trod anywhere in the world uh, by a geologist at one time or the other. Yeah, it was now. some time or another. And I mean, what we've been seeing also, and we talked a bit about this off air, and uh, I've had a few other guests on, like Joe and Brent from Exploration Insights sure. and things, talking a little bit about um, the M&A cycle. And we've seen, um, you've been familiar, obviously, with the Yukon situation. Both of us have been up there. Uh, we've seen Newmont now come in. Uh, Bear with attack is there now. Um, so I'm wondering what, how you think, uh, you know, do you think the majors are back into that exploration more so now? It, it kind of looks that yeah. way, doesn't it? Yeah. So they're moving into uh, relatively unexplored terrains yeah. that have some sort of difficulties. Infrastructure. Uh, infrastructure, remoteness, climate versus what they chose to do in the previous cycle, which was to go all over the world in, in jurisdictions that, had geopolitical risk, and for the most part, they got bitten by that yeah. uh, through resource nationalism or this or that. Now we see them moving into perceived safer jurisdictions, but still 
there's always risk in this early stage exploration yeah, plays. Yeah, and you're seeing them take, you know, you hear, you hear that sort of buzzword district scale now, right? It's, it's sort of they're all on the lookout for, you know, it seems like if anyone has over 1,000 a, a square kilometers worth of concessions, you probably have a CA with a major at this point, right? No, the companies I cover that have those sorts of ground positions, and if you know the companies I cover presently, they all have huge land positions in relatively unexplored terrain, uh, generally uh, remote terrain, if you will. Not not in all the cases, but buried deposits where you're looking at, at... innovative new methods for exploration and discovery and so that's where it's moving i personally find that encouraging so we didn't see that in the previous cycle all we saw was recycle of projects that had failed previously in some instances four or five or six times they'd failed and for the most part they failed again they are going to fail because they're just not good enough and, and, and as a geologist yourself, obviously, I mean, you, you just mentioned, I wanted to circle back on that word innovation. Um, have you seen some new stuff, geoscience things that people are doing out there that, that have sort of caught yeah, your here, eye? Yeah, here's an example. Yeah. Seismic in Ireland yeah. is going to discover new, deeper, bigger zinc deposits. And that's already happened with uh, Boliden discovered an extension off of Navin slash Terra that is two to three times as thick with the significant grades that occur in the Irish uh, zinc lead deposits. And that was strictly due to seismic modeling and deep drilling. Yeah. And so... Which is something from oil and gas. Yeah. People in oil and gas will be familiar. Yeah, yeah. So you're basically hiring oil and gas geophysicists to do your interpretation and, and... it's a powerful tool. The, the drawback to seismic extremely expensive. Yeah. So uh, not particularly for the oil business, but the oil business for the most part <laughs> is one to two orders of magnitude larger in the terms in terms of capital funds uh, dedicated yeah. to particular projects. So well, yeah, what I always tell people with oil and gas, if they're from mining and not familiar with oil and gas, is that the uh, path path to cash flow is much shorter. Much yeah, shorter. Yeah, yeah, so you get your payback on capital uh, really quick, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to see some of those, because we've heard a bit about people using drone technologies and sort of new ideas that maybe they're taking from other industries or whatever. But Yeah, we got yeah. new drilling methods coming yeah. along, and we've got... Uh, uh, new geophysical methods and remote sensing and uh, determining terrains to explore is getting better and yeah. better. And which we uh, need to we need to do that. Right? Yeah, it's, we have to because yeah. there are just not that many outcropping ore bodies anymore. Mm-hmm. Now there will continue to be ore bodies, uh, ore deposits discovered from outcrops that uh, perhaps have never been sampled before or sampled wrong or you know or uh, you know I said. Most ground have been trod in the world, but there's still significant areas that are essentially virgin. You know, a lot of Peru is so uh, hard to access and it's high altitude yeah. terrain. Yeah. yeah. You know, we still see people making ore grade oh, yeah. outcrop discoveries in Nevada. So, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's a, yeah, they're they're, they're they're out there. They're yeah. out there. Yeah, they're yeah. out there. It just takes it's a, it's uh people sometimes get lost with how big an area we're talking about. Like 
people are always, we, we've had a lot of conversations about BC recently because um, we did some studies and looked at it and it really does look like the BC mining industry is slowing down. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there's there, a, probably a geopolitical yeah, risk involved in that, too. a new geopolitical risk yeah. involved in BC now. Yes, I would no. say so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, there just hasn't been outside of Bruce Jack that slate of discoveries that you, you're talking about, right? And a lot of what's left in BC is undercover. So, yeah. So yeah. give me a, show me a, uh, a BC deposit that was discovered in the last cycle that has proven to be a good mine. Exactly. Is there one? No, no. There had, well, uh, I mean, I, I guess Bruce Jack to a degree, but it's well, been around but it's for, not. But it's no, not it's a not. mine yet, yeah, and it hasn't paid back its capital. Yeah. It's a very interesting deposit. Yeah. I think it's going to have to be mined uh, before it's known how much gold is actually there that yeah. can be mined. Yeah. It's yeah. one of these deposits cannot be modeled from drill holes very yeah. effectively. No, no. So there's risk there, but uh, we'll see. We'll see if it works. So I hope it does. It's old-fashioned mining where you're sort of just going along drift, eh? Just, yeah, just yeah, keep you're drifting drilling, along vein. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, it's like you know, what they used lot to of, do. Yeah. A lot of mines in Abitibi historically have done that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, so, exactly. You know? And I mean, um, we did talk a little bit about, obviously, you're looking at earlier stage um, investment opportunities, uh, but we haven't really touched on commodities too much yet. Um, the speech you're giving tomorrow, I gather, is on copper. Um, so maybe why don't you give us a little bit of a sneak peek on uh, what your copper talks well, about? Well, the title of the talk is A Contrarian's Call on Copper, and I'm going to give the call as I see it on the, the short, mid, and long-term fundamentals of the copper market. Most people are aware that I'm... Uh, a bit of a permeable on copper in terms of a mid to long term view because yeah. uh, the population increase in the world and, and annual demand on copper increases 3.4% per year on average since 1900. Yeah. So it's hard to buck that trend. We're not finding enough good copper deposits, but the real key to the whole thing is at the end of this talk, I'm going to give my newest copper pick. So, oh, there you and go. we're going to roll it out, and uh, and uh, we're going to have my latest musing available immediately after my talk so, on the website. Yep, mercenary jail or gold. Well, it, and we're going to be giving free copies away at the booth here. Perfect. So. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So, so bullish on midterm copper, or how are you seeing it? Uh, probably not particularly bearish in in short term, which yeah. I would say. Uh, it's going to be right to, below three dollars toward the end of the year, uh, yeah. but mid to long term, yeah. extremely bullish. You know, there's some things going on in the carp copper market right now that uh, uh, maybe don't lend themselves to a quick bump in copper. Yeah. But I like the fact that it really has consolidated in this two dollar and fifty to two dollar and seventy cent range. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but we need $3 copper for this market, yeah. for anything to be uh, looked at for development purposes requires a $3 to 330 a pound copper. Yeah, exactly. And that's, like, we've talked about that before to actually incentivize new development and more exploration. You're going to just simply need a higher price, right? Yeah, yeah. And the bottom line with copper right now, we don't have a pipeline of things uh, coming on to supply the additional demand that we know is going to happen. Well, the funny one, I got a, I think a note was maybe from GMP or one of the the uh, analyst firms, and they were talking about Hud Bay's Rosemont deposit, and they, I guess they put a recent updated feasibility out, and they, they used that as, as proof 
that they said this thing's not even going to work unless they get 330. And that's one of the better undeveloped copper from a grade profile, obviously not from no, a socio-political profile. It's tough uh, yeah. uh, social issues. And that, really that is, it's southeast of Tucson. Yeah. And it's Tucson's playground in the summer. Yeah, and there are ocelots together. Like the Patagonia area of, yeah. of Arizona. Yeah. and. Uh, but, um, but even aside from that, they were saying that based on the updated feasibility, at, no, at two, sub three dollar. And, and I think anybody will tell you, anybody who says the copper market that it's three dollars, three thirty before developments yeah. decisions can be positively made. And and if you look at the average cost of producing a pound of copper worldwide, uh, most companies are breaking even at best at this present price. price of. Uh, and those are probably the better mines with good gold credits too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And and one of the other things we, we mentioned we wanted to chat about because it was uh, a little bit of a change in gears for you from the last time you were on the show. I mean that was zinc, um, and you'd said historically you hadn't had a lot of involvement in zinc deals, but lo and behold now you're looking at them. Yeah, think I think that, I probably yeah. stated more emphatically. I said I've yeah. never been a zinc guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not excited about zinc, and this was probably back in uh, the late summer last year, yeah, about a when, year I, ago or, when I yeah. made that statement. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, that all changed for me. Yeah. I got presented with a zinc deal I really like, yeah. zinc yeah. in Ireland, and yeah. I went in and started studying the the let's say midterm fundamentals of the zinc market. And I think we're we're due for a good zinc price. For the next couple of years, so 2019, 2020, we have an extreme shortage of zinc concentrates right now. Yep. So uh, historically, 25 years I was of speculations yeah. business. I was a, a permeable on zinc, yeah. if you will. And yeah. you know, you've got to be nimble, you've got to be quick, you've got to reassess your opinions. And I made a 180 on zinc. Yeah, it's funny because I've done quite a bit of research myself on sort of the treatment and refining charges is something we follow when you're yeah. looking at the zinc yeah. market. And I mean, um, yeah, anybody who has like sort of near-term uh, discovery or production potential is, even if it stays at about the dollar twenty to dollar yeah. fifty range, are looking really good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like, you know, I'm happy with that buck twenty range right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, 2016, world zinc production was off over 6%. Yeah. Basically, yeah. because two mines, Century and Lachine, shut down Century in 2015, Lachine last year. Yeah. And those were two giant mines, one in Ireland, uh, Century in Australia, in Australia. Lachine yeah. in Ireland. And, uh, you know, zinc demand projected to increase uh, in the near term of 5% a year. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that is viable uh, in terms but we have a zinc shortage right now and uh, and Glencore keeps saying they're not going to put their half billion tons back into production right even the last quarter they said we're not doing it don't worry but everyone's watching them being like are you gonna do it like but they need I think higher closer to two bucks so I saw a well that would approach the historic high for yeah, zinc 2006 7 yeah, yeah, right. Hit yeah. 208. Yeah. Uh, before the global, when that commodity spike before the global economic. That's right. Yeah. That, I don't think that's sustainable at all. No. Although I did see uh, a report out of the UK this week that projected zinc price in 2017 
This was written this month in May. Yeah. The overall zinc average price for 2017 of a dollar 41 a pound. Wow. Now that's pretty friggin' bullish. That is high. And that means that yeah. zinc has got to take quite a rise yeah. here. Uh, I don't know if I see that, but. Yeah, most of yeah. the price decks I've seen are about a buck twenty, buck thirty. Yeah, yeah, that's high. You know, that's a high it, one for sure. It's been range bound in this buck fifteen to buck yeah. twenty range yeah. for a while. Uh, you know, uh, after the bloom fell off the rose, if you will, with the Trump infrastructure build out, and that that was going to happen quickly. Yeah. It is not going to happen quickly, but if that comes to pass, that's extremely bullish for the industrial metals. Yeah, and, and and I wanted to ask you, we've talked a lot of base, um, but gold's been a little funky lately. Uh, and some people have been talking about cryptocurrencies and what's going on with Bitcoins <laughs> Bitcoin. running like crazy. Um, but what's going on with gold? And gold's also been sort of stuck around 1250, uh, sort of in a holding pattern there for the last little while here. Um, what's your sort of outlook on precious metals right now? Well, historically, we're going into a down period or approaching a downtime for the gold price. Yeah. Got summer doldrums coming. We would expect uh, a seasonal low to occur yeah. for gold in sometime uh, mid-June till the end of August. Didn't happen last year. No, that's but, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we would expect that. Well, I'm. I'm. Would you happy. buy? Would you buy at that? Are you looking at that? As Am I buying gold right now? Yeah. Physical gold? No. Oh, I, wow. If I'm buying precious metals, I buy platinum on dips because I think it's undervalued with respect to gold. Okay. Uh, but I'm certainly uh, looking at and speculating in gold explorers. Yeah. Um, and so see upside in discovery more so than the actual bullion price. Yeah. 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 That makes sense to me. And I mean, uh, you also hear a bit about. It sort of fell off, but for a while there, I was hearing about silver. And I know being from the U.S., silver is a bigger deal than it is in Canada. Is not there, for me. Not but for you, no, but, but, but narratively, <laughs> right? Um, uh, is there still uh, any sort of appetite for silver, really? You know, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. Go <laughs> go talk to David Morgan. He's, <laughs> He's I, I, I really have never been a silver bug. You know, yeah. I, I think that the present ratio of gold to silver is on the historically high end. Yeah. I get interested in buying silver when that ratio is above 80 okay. Uh, okay. and it's in the low 70s right now. That's right. Yeah. I think it will correct back down to uh, a more normal range of say plus or minus 55 that ratio. Um, the trouble with buying silver uh, it's poor man's gold, and if you buy silver bullion, I think you buy it uh, when silver's undervalued with the idea when silver's overvalued, you sell it and turn that into gold bars. Yeah. The trouble with silver plays is they're not silver plays. They're, they're lead, zinc, sil yeah. lead, lead and zinc plays for the most part, and sometimes copper plays, because there, to my knowledge, there really aren't any pure silver producers in the world. They produce yeah. base metals and they may generate most of their profits from the silver content yeah. when silver prices are good. Hard to play as to yeah, find yeah. silver plays in oil. Um, but just to wrap up here, Mickey, um, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, you, you did say you were looking at discovery stories um, and explorers and you were looking at copper. And I wanted to ask you if there's anywhere in the world that you're seeing some exciting 
things emerging specifically? I mean, we hear a lot about Peru, obviously, right now, that there's some good stories going on in Peru. Uh, I covered Camino Minerals a while back. They had a nice drill hole. But I'm wondering if you, there's any sort of jurisdictions you're looking at that might offer opportunities. Yeah, you have to come to my talk tomorrow oh, to get, hear about my uh, newest <laughs> copper pick. But that said, um, and and I do have a slide in that talk to it, it rhetorically ask where is the copper going to come from? Yeah. And there are problems uh, in just about every juris, major copper jurisdiction in the world of one type or the other, yeah. either politi geopolitical problems or grade problems or depth to new high-grade deposits. And so the solution to this is technology and innovation is going to continue as the demand continues going to allow us to to find develop and mine deeper higher grade deposits the grade historically of copper mined as with all commodities continue continuously goes down with time uh, we're not going to run out of copper we may have short-term supply deficits and oversupplies within that market. world has plenty of copper, we just gotta go out and find it. Well, yeah, and the other thing is there's a lot of, uh, I think calling them marginal deposits would be a little kind right now, but there's a lot of in situ, in the ground that we know is there, that if copper, if we ever need it, it's there. Uh, right. A lot of those deposits are actually in BC, funny enough, but um, we do know that it's there, like you said, so it's just a question of getting, you know, finding that price that incentivizes A, the discovery, and B, the actual development. Yep. Right? And that's what we'll be looking at moving forward. But uh, once again, I would uh, like to thank Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist, for swinging by. Thanks once again, Matt. My pleasure. And this has been Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner Pro uh, Podcast. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Have a great day. Welcome back to studio. And uh, just a spoiler here, this is uh, this is running a little later than we had intended. So Mickey's talk has uh, on copper has already happened. It was on Monday at 1.40 uh, at the uh, Metal Writers Conference. His new copper pick, I'm going to spoil this uh, for Mickey, is uh, Trilogy Metals. So he announced that at the uh, the show. Uh, I was there for that talk. So we won't actually get that. Uh, unfortunately, he was playing a little coy there. But uh, due to the timing, uh, we can uh, sort of reveal that now. So uh, Trilogy and the Bornite Arctic Project, which we, as we know, we uh, we discussed uh, maybe last week's podcast. Uh, South 32 just made a big uh, earn-in agreement up there uh, in Alaska uh, in the Ambler Mining District. So that's uh, Mickey's new copper pick uh, for people who are interested. Uh, swing by his website at uh, mercenarygeologist.com. You can read up on that. Uh, I believe it's a free subscription model. So thanks again to uh, Mickey Fulp for swinging by and joining us. Um, that sort of uh, concludes our uh, quote-unquote macro uh, commodity segment of the show. Uh, next up, as mentioned, we have Dr. Paul West Sells from the Yukon Mining Alliance who's going to talk a little bit about, uh, further about, uh, that big Yukon rush that uh, we um, sort of talked around with Mickey, but uh, we'll dig into it a little bit more uh, with Paul. Uh, and as mentioned, uh, one of the big things we talk about is infrastructure, etc. Uh, so it's a great little segment. Uh, I'll uh, bring in Paul Westsells, uh, President and CEO of Western Copper, as, long, uh, as well as his role with the YMA. Uh, so this will be a great little interview, and uh, I'll see you after the break just to wrap up the show. Today, I am lucky to be joined by the chair of the Yukon Mining Alliance, Paul West Sells. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Well, thanks for having me. 
Um, so exciting times in the Yukon. Uh, being down at the uh, conference here, you notice just the presence of so many Yukon companies these days. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the majors that are coming up to the territory. Uh, so maybe a little bit of a color just on, on what you've seen that do for the jurisdiction. Um, and also sort of uh, how busy is it going to be this summer? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been pretty exciting, actually. We were just looking at it. And it was, it was essentially one year ago, sort of, you know, uh, I think about last week that Gold Corp announced that they were acquiring the Kamenak uh, company for, for the coffee deposit. And, and that really sort of set things off. And so Gold Corp came in about a year ago, uh, and then you had the announcement, uh, another announcement from Gold Corp that they were buying, you know, sort of the, the sort of 10, 15% uh, equity stake in, in junior mining company and then after that really it was just sort of almost a stampede I mean you've seen now you've seen Newmont come in you've seen Agnico Eagle come in you've seen Barrick come in you've seen Coor Mining come in I mean it's really a question of who hasn't come in yet rather than than who has and you saw Kinross make make, uh, they were there already but again sort of uh, combined uh, an investment there so it's been a really exciting time in the Yukon and and it's it's interesting because you know as part of YMA you know we've been marketing the Yukon and it's a group of companies in the Yukon that really understand how underdeveloped it is in terms of exploration but really how actually fairly decent the infrastructure the government the relationships with the First Nations all those other things that are important for this to actually be a mining district um, and yet have this great mineral potential and we've been sort of you know, saying that message for a number of years, and it's exciting to see that actually come to fruition now over the past year with this number of investments. And it's sort of interesting. I mean, like you said, uh, that sort of potential's been there um, for for a long time, and you guys have been yeah. there for years. Um, and same with uh, you know, there hasn't been a fundamental infrastructure change really in the territory. Yeah. So, did you see this coming, or what do you think actually triggered yeah. this for the majors? This sudden undeniable rush as you said yeah i mean i, I think that th- i think that i think a couple of things have happened i think that when you look at the infrastructure of the yukon you, like you said it hasn't changed much but when you have i mean it's all been gold companies yeah. so gold companies you know these MA teams the exploration teams they look around the world but really they haven't there hasn't been in any MA activity yeah. because the you know the the junior mar- or the market has been sort of in the doldrums. So when it came back and it was sort of led by the golds, they started to invest in smart areas. So first of all, you look at you know political stability. That's becoming more and more an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you look at you know what what happened in the Philippines with them almost. I mean and these are like, Philippines and Indonesia. These are actually fairly well run countries, and yet yeah. they're shutting down mining. They're talking about nationalization. Obviously, we're not going to have that happen in in Canada. So I think that having good jurisdiction from that perspective has been key. And the other thing is you start to look at infrastructure. And you compare the Yukon, which is actually fairly accessible. You've got a year-round port in Skagway. You've got well-maintained roads. You've got government that you can deal with and then First Nations that you can deal with. And you compare that to... I mean, I'll be honest, other jurisdictions in Canada, which are very remote, mm-hmm. and they need significant, I mean, it's sort of like you're crossing your fingers, the government's going to spend billions of dollars building 
ports and railways and, and that sort of stuff, whereas you don't need that here in, in the Yukon. Um, or, you know, remote places in South America, and it starts to look not too bad. And it's funny, it took them a while to f sort of figure that out, and I think they, yeah. they, a lot of them did because of the write-downs we saw in the last cycle and some yep. of the geopolitical risk you mentioned, yep. realized that, hey, maybe there's these opportunities in our backyard that might actually be worthwhile. And it's yep. funny, um, you hear a lot of talk about the Arctic, and, and, and that's extended well right across the territories in Canada. Um, and one of the things they always talk about is energy. And I know uh, yep. power uh, infrastructure, and as a president and CEO of Western Copper and Gold, yep. you guys obviously uh, discuss power quite a bit as yep. well. Um, and one of the things you've mentioned to me in the past is LNG, liquefied natural yep. gas. Um, so maybe a little bit of an update on uh, what's the conversation about power going on in the Yukon right now? And is, is LNG still viewed maybe as the primary driver that could be? Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, I always look at LNG as a transitional fuel. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, and I tell people, look, in order for these, these remote mines, you need energy you can truck in. Mm -hmm. And if it's energy you can truck in, the lowest carbon footprint energy you can truck in is LNG. Yeah. And so, I mean, we, we identify that with casino, our casino projects, so that's how, how we're looking to generate electricity. Um, the city of Whitehorse came to that conclusion as well. So they built and are operating a liquefied gas-fired power plant. They're actually now looking, they made an announcement a couple months ago, they're looking to expand that because it's running so well. Um, you know, Gold Corp, when they took over the Kamenak project, or sorry, the, the coffee project from Kam took over Kamenak for the coffee project, that project, they're actually now, they, they put their environmental application forward. It's looking at both fuels, so a diesel or an LNG option on that. Okay. It just makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's greener, it's cheaper, um, it's, you know, in terms of spills and waste and all those other sort of bad things that can happen, it just beats all that stuff hands down. It's really a great solution for the North. And, you know, there's already that gas-fired power plant in, in, operated by Yukon Energy in Whitehorse, but we also announced a, a casino, a MOU with Ferris Natural Gas Fuels, and they're very keen. They've been up in the Yukon, they ha had a number of workshops, and they're looking to be really a key supplier to the North, really, for liquefied natural gas and to actually build a, a liquefaction facility in Fort Nelson to, to supply that natural gas. And maybe for our listeners, Paul, who, who maybe aren't yep. as familiar with LNG and, and sort of what you're talking about, about trucking it in and yep. how, that, how that works, yep. maybe just a little bit of color on where it's coming from, sort of how it all sure. fits together and, and what a new facility like that might mean for the territory. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, natural gas, I mean, there, there's sort of a, a West Coast, dis, you know, pipeline network of natural gas that sort of starts at Fort Nelson at the very tip and, and runs down, I think, all the way into Mexico. But um, So that's got natural gas. To liquefy that, there's there's obviously been a lot of talk of export terminals that are these multi-billion dollar projects. Um, you know, when we talk to guys like Ferris about liquefaction facilities, these are, you know, $100 million to $150 million liquefaction facilities. They just tap it off that that uh, pipeline and li liquefy it, and then when you transport it by truck, uh, it's fairly straightforward. It's it's being done right now up into the Yukon for that facility in Whitehorse. Uh, it works out to be, you know, pound for pound. There's as much energy in a pound of liquefied natural gas as a pound of diesel, so it's really no different 
then you know if you're going to bring on a number of diesel supply trucks, it's the same number of LNG supply trucks. I see. Okay. Well, uh, we'd like to thank you once again for joining us on the Northern Miner okay. Podcast, Paul. Well, thank you very much for having me. And this has been Matthew Keeble reporting from downtown Vancouver. Welcome back to studio once again. Uh, so we'd like to thank Dr. Paul Westsells of the Yukon Mining Alliance for swinging by and chatting with us at the uh, International Metal Writers Conference. Uh, and uh, yeah, just some interesting stuff there. I was really, I actually wanted to ask about the LNG stuff personally. I'm just sort of interested in where they're trucking it from and uh, what the logistics of that look like. So it's interesting to hear uh, because uh, as we know, um, LNG has been a big buzz topic up uh, in the territories for a while in, in terms of providing sustainable energy. And as, as Paul actually interestingly labeled it, sort of a uh, transitional energy uh, until, uh, you know, that infrastructure sort of catches up. Uh, so it's a really great topic. I'd like to uh, thank them again for uh, taking the time to sit down with me and uh, chat about the upcoming field season. It's going to be busy as heck. Uh, we will be up there on the annual media tour in the Yukon in mid-July. Uh, so look forward to a lot of content coming out of there. Um, and also um, coming up for the miner, uh, our next little special is actually an energy special so we'll be looking at lithium uranium and coal uh, as well as other uh, related uh, minerals uh, so that'll be coming down the uh, pike next week uh, i'm looking probably at uh, putting something together on the bc coal which now gets interesting and uh, there's here's something i'm not going to talk about in too much depth on this week's podcast uh, but that is uh, the recent news that the ndp and green party in british columbia have come to an agreement to essentially form a coalition government uh, in bc uh, what is does this mean well this is a complicated multifaceted question uh that uh cannot be tackled uh within uh the, the small amount of time i have left on this show uh needless to say this is something we will be looking at in great depth uh both in print and uh in other mediums uh, i do have some interviews set up in terms of uh talking to some of the organizations that might uh might have the uh, biggest roles be they the amebc the mabc etc uh in terms of what this may mean for the business what we're looking at in terms of permitting um obviously this is a uh, far more pressing in issue in, in terms of pipelines and also the Site C project, uh, though that is well into construction. So we, it would be very difficult for me to see a way in which they could impact Site C uh, at this point functionally. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, what these changes mean for our business um, and also what they mean uh, in terms of regulation. Um, uh, so uh, that's going to be something, uh, obviously, it needs to be mentioned. Uh, unfortunately, at this point in time, we just don't have the uh, the breadth left in the show for me to dig into this uh, too in-depth. Uh, but uh, you know what I will try to do is get a really good podcast interview uh, on the changing political landscape in BC and how that might affect Canada as a whole and that's going to be a topic we're really going to be interested in tackling in future episodes uh we'll also be looking at it in print and digital um i'm putting together an article on it as well as uh, our editor-in-chief john cumming will very likely be putting a editorial together on that very subject next week uh so this is do not worry on the forefront of our mind we will be looking at that political situation in bc and trying to dig down into what it means for our business uh but uh that's all we have time for this week please do uh do continue to uh tune into the northern minor podcast uh like us on uh, facebook follow us on twitter check out our youtube channel and as usual please do rate this podcast on itunes because that helps us because <laughs> apple has the worst podcast statistics ever and ratings are like the only thing that matter <laughs> uh but uh yeah so this has been matthew keevil coming at you from studio in downtown vancouver have a great week and i'll talk Talk to you next time.